Hey friends, welcome to the Living Truth Podcast. This is Kristen Carey hosting you today, and I am eager to have a conversation with my friend and colleague, Stacy Sadler. Stacy, thank you so much for being on the Living Truth Podcast with me today. Oh, thank you. It's an honor. I'm excited to chat with you. So you guys, Stacy, I've known of her and I've like been Facebook friends with her for a long time because of being in this field of betrayal trauma recovery. But we got to spend time together for the first time this past April at the Christian Sex Addiction Specialist International Conference. And oh my goodness, Stacy, I feel like you are just a kindred spirit. Like we ended up going out for meals together or hanging out and having meals together multiple times. And I just felt like you were like my long lost sister. Like we could just talk and like- it was just so much fun. It was awesome. so much fun. Um, so you guys, Stacy has so many things that she has accomplished. One of those is that she is a licensed professional counselor. Um, she is trained in EMDR. She's also trained in, by APSATs. If you're new to this realm of betrayal trauma recovery, you might not know what APSATs is. It stands for the Association of Partner of Sex Addicts Trauma Specialists. And so it is a way to know whether somebody is going to be operating out of the trauma model when they're dealing with the partner who's experienced betrayal. Stacy also recently became the chief clinical officer for Daring Ventures, which I was so thrilled with when I saw it because I love Daring Ventures and Dr. Jake Porter, and you're amazing. And I know Andrea just started working there too, and Kathy and Connie. And I feel like I've had almost everybody on staff with Daring Ventures on our podcast um, cause I love y'all so much. You, you like that y'all that's for the Texans. Yes. Way to go. <laughs> Anyways. Um, Stacy also speaks at the restore conference, which is new life ministries conference for betrayed partners. So, um, she's on the board of new life and she recently wrote a book about loving your child as a single parent. So before you tune out, if you're not a single parent, we are going to cover the topic of parenting, especially after the crisis of unwanted sexual behavior and or sexual betrayal hits your marriage. And the reason I think Stacy's perspective, especially having been a single parent for how many years, Stacy, were you a single parent? How many years was I? I still am. I mean, they don't yeah. have love, right? No, they do. But <laughs> my kids are older and betrayal, a divorce happened to me later in life. So my kids were about, and and you'll understand my story because there was a period of, oh, I'm going to file for divorce. Oh, no, I'm not. Oh, yes, I am. Oh, I'm going to wait and pray and, and pray that God changes his heart. You know, so there's this period of time. So it's hard to exactly say when, yeah. but you know, my kids were 13, 13 and 17 when, when it happened. So they were teenagers. When your divorce was finalized or when you first yeah. started living as a single parent? Oh, well, it, now you're getting into the minutia. That was confusing. I, I mean, there's a lot of confusing time in there because there were two years of separation in there too. So here's what I'm saying, you guys, if you're tuning in is even if you're, you're still married, um, I encourage you to listen to this because most of us that go through this area of, of betrayal, trauma, and unwanted sexual behavior at some period of time are either going through a separation because of the crisis in our marriage, or 
perhaps you are the one who has functioned as the adult and the responsible person while your spouse has been like neck or eyeball deep in their addiction. And that has caused them to not be able to be as present as a parent. Whatever your situation, this is a very common thing for couples going through these issues to to figure out how is this going to impact my kids, the the unwanted sexual behavior and and the betrayal trauma that the, the partner is going through and the distraction that we're dealing with as we're going through these crises. Is this going to ruin my children? Could my children ever survive? Bounce back from this. Many of us, I assume you included Stacy, who are reticent. Should I should I get a divorce? There, the covenant has been broken. I know I have a biblical grounds because there's been betrayal. However, do I is that going to ruin my kids? All the questions, right? That swirl in our heads. Absolutely. Yep. There's just so many questions. And you know, I can relate to I, I the very first line in my book was I was a single parent long before I was a single parent. And I had to take it out. Because it so rang true to me when I started writing the book. And I had to take it out because of legal reasons. You know, they said, write him out of the book. So anything you're saying about him, which was pretty hard to do. But, you know, things that were directly like that, I I had to take out. But the truth is, I did feel like the only single parent. And I described a day where, you know, I was dealing with everything from, you know, getting them their benefits, uh, you know, not, I don't know that they ever were on Medicaid, but they were on CHIP, which was assistance because there was finances were shot because addiction shoots finances. So Mm -hmm. I had to go from getting them to their activities to bargaining for, you know, low cost medical care to, you know, dealing with the latest crisis over uh, SpongeBob, you know, doing homework, you know, getting them here, getting them there and doing everything because addiction rendered my spouse pretty much incapable of, of carrying part of the load. So this, what we have today, what we have to say today and what's in my book is good for whether you're legally separated or divorced or just feel like you are. Yeah. Yeah. It is very, very, very lonely to deal with this. And I, I also was a single parent Really, if I count from the last time we separated until I remarried in 2010, I was a single parent for uh, five, a little over five years. Um, My son was a baby when I divorced. And so um, this is a really important topic to me personally, too, because that was one of the loneliest and most painful seasons of my entire life. Yeah. And, and I think that's part of it, the loneliness and painful season of it. It's there's even shame attached to it for so many people, you know, especially Christians who like, it's just like the scarlet letter. I felt like I was wearing a scarlet letter D when I, when I went into church and, and so the first few times I was like, it was an unwanted divorce. I felt like I had to justify, you know, things just because I felt like I was wearing it because church so heralds marriage that, you know, there really isn't a lot of places for single parents and it's sad or single people. And sometimes you feel like an outcast as a single person. So 
it was really, really difficult and really lonely until I started to embrace it and learn different, heal from what had happened and learn to um, embrace the singleness and the choice and the freedom and the peace that came with it. Okay. I want to hear about that. How did you get there? Well, you know, it, a lot of, a lot of grieving, first of all, tons and tons of grieving because what I wanted to happen wasn't happening. So I was still married and I could see that what, what I was so wanting for my marriage, the fantasy I had built up in my head, the hope and the dream just wasn't happening. And so I was grieved, 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 grieved. And then when I finally had to surrender the marriage to God, and I told somebody this just very this morning in a, in a session, I put my hand, my nose in the carpet and, and surrendered my marriage. Okay, fine, Lord, I give it to you. I'm going to stop trying to change him because I thought that's what a good Christian wife is supposed to do. And, um, you know, I just give it to you. I, I, I let it go. It's in your hands. And then he said, what about your other hand? And I went, wait a minute, wait a minute. You maybe want me to, I just let go of, praying that you would restore it. And he goes, give me both hands. So it was like this full surrender of you, Lord, it's your will, not mine. I can't, I'm not in control. Mm-hmm. And who likes surrender? And and there's no way we can get to acceptance of that situation without a lot of grief. Absolutely. So went, went through a lot of emotions in letting go and 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 thinking I would never ever have a relationship or the relationship that I wanted again. And I didn't want singleness, you know, and through my eight years, even of being single, I didn't want singleness. I mean, I learned to embrace it, but my true heart's cry was to be married and to be married in a fulfilling way. And I just would be honest with God and tell him that, but I did learn to hold on to that truth of that's what I want, but I'm also accepting my singleness. And so with that, I found just a lot of freedom. I travel all over the country. I mean, it didn't come right away. I'll remember one of the first times I I started realizing the freedom that would come with singleness. My daughter and I drove my son up to school or drove up to visit him. And it was kind of like, we can pick our own hotel room. We get to stay where we want to stay. And oh, we could stop at this little amusement park kind of thing. It was a cave, you know, a cavern place. We can do that if we want to. And we get to pick where we want to eat. And so we found our, we found this great little hideaway that was our little escape, you know, and made it ours. And so I was recreating a new sort of life for myself with new memories and new emotions. And the best thing is I got to pick it all myself. I didn't have to deal with anybody else. So there was joy. There started to become joy in it as well. Wow. But it's a long journey from realizing and accepting that my spouse is not going to change and staying the pain of staying, especially when you feel God has released you and there's been infidelity and that pain of staying becomes greater than the pain of letting go. Yeah. Um, but then you still have this very painful process of watching your children process the loss and the grief and, um, going through all of the grieving process. And so, um, if you could think of some tips for our listeners, like not that you can fast track it, you really can't. 
Like you, this is not a fast process, no matter how you do it. However, I think there's some ways that we tend to shoot ourselves in the foot and sure. make it take longer. I'm just right. going to name one. I'm going to name one right now, Stacey. And that would be dating again too soon. Oh, yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. So we're in so much pain and we feel so rejected, right? Whether you're the person with the addiction or you're the person who's been betrayed, your right. divorce is finalized. You feel alone. You feel lonely. You feel rejected. I had two temptations. One was alcohol and one was dating again. And right. I ended up deciding not to drink during my early betrayal trauma recovery period at all, because I was concerned about developing an addiction because of my, my, my father had an alcohol addiction. And I was like, I don't want this to happen to me. Me too. And number two dating. And I, I chose to wait until my therapist, I was asking her to kind of be my frontal lobe and help me think through like, what, what is like, I, I don't, I don't trust myself. I don't trust my impulse control. I'm like so sad. And so, and I don't want to be dating from a place of like barrenness and emptiness. I want to do it from a place of wholeness and self-acceptance. But I think those are two ways that we shoot ourselves in the foot. What are some other ways you think of that you, that prolong our suffering? Oh, great, great, great example. One, I think on top of that, I think both of those are wonderful examples. I always say to date, it takes time, energy, and emotion. And if you don't have that, then don't even attempt it because you want it from a partner too. And if if you're not finished grieving, you don't have the emotion. If you've got young kids, who knows? Doubtful, you have a lot of time. And it takes, and same with young kids with energy too, but it's like a part-time job. So I agree completely with what you said. Um, I think one of the biggest mistakes that anybody can make in being single is going it alone. And I think the biggest thing is community and understanding where you need help and realizing your limitations in the very beginning, because marriage, God designed a family to be two people, two people carrying a load. And now it's one. So you know, there, there might need, you might need help with childcare. You might need help with getting your kids from point A to point B. You might need a break every now and then, but a lot of us have trouble asking for help, have trouble saying, I can't do this on my own. And so it takes a village truly to raise, to be, to be a single parent and to raise healthy kids. And there's nothing wrong with asking for help. Uh, We have to get past our perfectionism. Um, when we do that, and that's a big, big stumbling block for people. Um, and so I think, you know, also if we are, you know, we have opposite sex kids than us, I think it's important that we have the opposite sex role model in their lives, especially if their parent isn't, uh, giving them their other parent, isn't giving them what they need that you pray. I've always prayed for strong role models for my son you know, for youth leaders or other men to come in, other dads to come in and be a strong dad to him. Um, And so I think that's important. Um, But realizing where the holes are is really important. Another thing that I think is um, important is to do your own work, to do your own healing. And um, I think that we can radically slow down the process if we don't embrace our own healing, if we just deny it or push it down. 
I think we're not there for our children. And I think we, we need to do our own work. And a lot of that includes having a community of people that we're healing with so that we don't rely on our children. Sadly. Oh my gosh, that's huge. That's hugely important. People are concerned they're going to ruin their children like and damage them and traumatize them beyond repair by divorce. I think, I think you will traumatize them far more if you go to them for emotional support than you will if you divorce. When you set a boundary and say, no, I'm not going to live like this anymore. I'm not going to live with abuse or adultery or sex addiction. That's a great model to our kids. But when we rely on them to get us through or for emotional support, that is extremely damaging. It is. And and our, and their little brains and bodies are not designed to handle the big adult issues that, I mean, we're struggling. Why yeah. would we put it on kids, whether they're adolescents or kids? It's too much for them. You know, their, their job description is eat, play, go to school, repeat. You know what I mean? Like it, they need to let your little kids be little, let them be kids, let the adult heavy stuff stay with, with you and your recovery and your people, your support system. Now, I think your kids need to see you have emotions. Yeah. Now, uh, my my daughter would come in or she'd put on, she'd play love songs. She'd get in the radio and put on a love song. And I'd be like crying. And she'd go, mom, why are you always crying? I'd say, well, you can't play that music. Mom is sad. You know, for me to go through a divorce and my kids not ever see me shed a tear they're scratching their head going, oh, am I not supposed to feel sad when I lose right. something I love? Like, hold on. One minute mom's telling us she loves dad. Next minute, you know, she's fine. So I think it's important that we show our children our feelings, but that we don't rely on them for support or give them details about about what's gone on in the relationship. I, I do think it's important to speak your truth to them as they get older um, if, especially if your spouse won't tell them the truth, I think it's important that you do speak truth about what's going on in, in the relationship. That's a bigger subject. I was just going to say, do you have any, I do get that question a lot. Like, do you have any pointers on like what to tell kids? Well, I know it depends on their age. Mm-hmm, for sure. And I would say, you know, little kids, you know, early on, I think it's, um, you know, uh, just minimal information, answering their, their, their questions about it. Uh, The biggest thing that young kids are going to do is internalize it and think it's their fault. So the biggest thing you can say is it's not your fault. It has nothing to do with you and reassure that over and over again. And, and, and my favorite chapter in my book is about holding space for your children. And when you hold space for your children, when they say something like, well, I did something bad. That's why X, mm-hmm. Y, that's why y'all didn't end up together. That's why daddy left. That's why mommy didn't come back. Instead of saying, no, 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 it's not you. So ask them, really tell me more. And you lean in just like validation and say, tell me what you're feeling. Well, you know, that time that I, you know, got in trouble at school and dad left the next day. You don't know what little associations they're making in their mind. So I always tell people, don't be so quick to jump in and say, no, it's not about you. No, it's not about you. Listen, lean in, hear what they're saying, and then buy it. Absolutely tell them it's not about you. It's about, and, and if you can do it together with your spouse, great. 
my situation, that wasn't happening. So I just had to speak my truth of what the story was to the kids as in an age, age appropriate way. And, you know, I spoke the truth, even though my daughter said, mom, that's not the truth. And I said, it is the truth. And I, I recognized her need to be in denial for the while. But when she started seeing that it was the truth, she came back around and she said, mom, you're right. It was the truth. And so it taught her to listen to her gut. So I think that that's, I'd say do it with some guidance, you know, get yeah. some good input about it. But that is the number one question we get asked at Restore all the time. What do I tell the kids? Yeah. 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 And, you know, um, I, I have a, a relative who just went through a disclosure and I was talking to her this morning and I talked to her about talk, talking to the kids. I just briefly touched on it because she asked, what do we tell the kids? And she's got boys and they are all, and the husband has a sex addiction and they are all older. And she said, I don't think I'm going to say anything. She said, I think one struggles. And I said, mm-hmm. And she said, we went home and talked to them and they were able to get everything off their chest that they had been feeling about the tension in the home. Kids are intuitive. They know, they know. And so I always think that when we're in a place of recovery and a good headspace, I think it's important to talk to the kids. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, whenever possible, I think it's really helpful to get our kids their own therapist if they're willing to talk to somebody. Yes, I would agree with you. Yeah. I think it's so important. And knowing and knowing when they're struggling with something. I think knowing your children and knowing when, you know, don't put up with, don't put up with a lot of dysfunctional behavior. You know, I know a lot of people out there that put up with children who are just little holy terrors. Sorry, but it's true. And the thing is that you don't have to put up with that. You shouldn't put up with that. But some of us come from such chaotic upbringings ourselves. We just put up with it thinking it's okay, or we don't know what to do about it. But Tough love is a good thing to have and letting your kids know that that behavior isn't okay, even though the cards they've been dealt aren't great, yeah. is really important. They love boundaries. They need boundaries. And sometimes if you're the only boundary parent, that feels pretty sucky. It you does. Know? Yes. When you got to be the one that's the bad guy, yeah. but that creates safety and, and, and they, they need that. Our kids crave that and it, and they need to learn to hear the word no. So it's really, yeah. really important hmm. that we do that. 